Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to those of you in this room. Good morning to those of you on the Zoom room. I'd like to talk about uncertainty this morning. <laughs> the giggling is because I wasn't supposed to be here. Um, even just saying good morning to the people in the Zoom room, like, look at all of the unintended things that have come out of COVID. We didn't do this before, and now we do this. Who knew? And yet we have all suffered so much at the same time. It's always both things. That generally tends to be the, the only thing that's considered the perfect right answer in Zen. If you're ever wondering, is it this thing or is it this thing? That's a trap. <laughs> because usually the most true answer at the bottom of things is both amp. And I have been thinking so much about uncertainty lately we we really have no idea what's going to happen next i was talking to somebody here last wednesday night and made this kind of off the cuff remark i was like well the universe is going to be different in five minutes anyway so i try not to plan too far ahead <laughs> and i walked in this morning and look <laughs> it's best not to plan too far ahead but the universe is a surprise it always is um you know, we, we have this deep yearning for certainty and answers. And we have a tendency to, to go along with people who say that they are certain about things, even if maybe we have some sense that deep down that's not really true. We want it to be true so bad we're willing to roll with that. Um, when we were talking this morning about what we were going to do, um, somebody had made the comment like, oh, you could give a talk about Dogen. I'm like, no, I think this morning is going to be about Brian Eno. <laughs> Does anybody know who Brian Eno is? I yes. Gave him, who is I gave him Zazen <laughs> instruction. <laughs> That's fantastic. Some of us don't know who he is. <laughs> Brian Eno is a musician who has been around for quite a while. He's 74 right now. And he had gone through various permutations of the kind of music that he creates. And he has been involved in production with some very influential musicians. Um, I mean, he's worked with Bob Roddy, he's worked with Bono, he's worked with U2, he's worked with a vast spectrum of people. He's produced a lot of David Byrne stuff. Um, he has this vast repertoire and different stylings of his own. And some of the music that that lives closest to my heart is some of the, most, the more atmospheric things that he has created. Um, there's a, an album that he put together called Music for Installations that I usually listen to on my three-hour drive down to Hokiochi. For me, it feels like it opens everything up. There's a stillness to it and a lack of any discernible time signature. Oh, but I was reading the New York Times this morning and they had interviewed him. Evidently, he has a new album out that I didn't even know. And it's called Forever and Ever No More, which is also... <laughs> both and I'm like oh this is promising and I haven't even made it through the whole interview because I left after I ate my breakfast to come here but he was talking about the questions that guide him 
And one of the things that he talked about that struck me so much is that he said, I wish we could have more people who exhibited the charisma of uncertainty. He's like, normally we don't put those two words together, charisma and uncertainty. We think of charismatic people who are the leaders who are out in front, who have a certainty about them. He said they have this quality of certainty that they know what we do and then we follow them because they have this energy about them that exudes that they know what they're doing and therefore maybe they know what we should be doing and what's right. They have this energy that they give off. But he said, really, you know, the media doesn't like that so much. And like I said before, like we as people, we really don't like that so much because we don't like being reminded of how uncertainty, uncertain everything is because that makes us nervous. It reminds us how vulnerable we are and how unpredictable everything is. And I put this music on as I was driving to, to class this morning and I was listening to it. I'm like, oh, yes. And I felt this settling again, this open space. And I was just reminded of, I was really considering what he had to say. What is it to exhibit this energy, even in the midst of uncertainty, even though we recognize, you know, that we can't be sure of things. And this falls so seamlessly into practice for me, into Zen. how impermanent everything is, that the only certain thing is uncertainty, that everything is change, everything is movement. Sometimes I go for a walk in my neighborhood and I remember that the universe, that, that our planet alone is spinning very quickly and I don't feel it. And there are things happening in the universe that I don't, that I don't know. And I think our practice is brave. One of the things that keeps me connected to, to Zen and the practice of Zazen and meditation is that the acknowledgement of, of impermanence and uncertainty is the most real thing that I can know about the universe. And then the question is, is how do I live out of that space? It seems brave to remind ourselves that we don't know what's going to happen, but that we're going to live anyway. And that as conscious as we are of our intentions and our actions and what we value, that it still matters that we offer it to the universe and how we offer it into this universe, into the swirl of everything that's happening, we get to dip our paintbrush in and add to the colors of what's happening. We get to, to create our own music and we don't, we don't know what it's going to look like at the end of it. One of the parts of the interview this morning that I was reading, um, Brian, you know, said he was in the studio with a group, a band, something, and they had invited Pavarotti and the famous opera musician, famous opera singer, to come in and provide some vocals that they were going to use. 
And Pavarotti sat on the side of the room and he was watching them create and he was watching them say, oh no, then this, oh no, and then this, and then we can change that and we can add that. And evidently at some point he, he looked over at them and he said, oh, you're making this up. <laughs> and I thought that was so charming. Um, Brian was saying like maybe he had gotten so used to receiving final scores and presented pieces that he would perform that for a moment maybe he had forgotten about the messiness of creation. That it doesn't just show up fully formed, that requires effort and fixing and changing and maneuvering and manipulating and creating is, is not clean and it doesn't emerge fully formed. And that was so beautiful to me. It's, it's a good reminder to me of how, how music is created and how messy it is that we create our lives the same way. We had this note. No, that wasn't the right note. I'd like another note. I'd like to try that. Oops. How messy everything can be. Because we don't show up fully formed. We keep trying things. And I think... I keep coming back to the idea that the best efforts that can, we can make, whatever they look like in all of our different lives, the best place that we can come from is a place that balances humility and courage. And those things don't seem like maybe they would go together. Or maybe this is just another one of those both and things. The beautiful paradoxes of the universe where you can hold both of those things, humility and courage. For a few years now, I've been thinking about the phrase, like what would happen if I woke up every morning and said, my understanding of the universe is incomplete. Just an acknowledgement of that. Like, I'm here and I have a vague sense of things that are around me, but my understanding of the universe is incomplete. The further and further we see into space, all of the beautiful images that have come up from the James Webb telescope since the summer, I look at those pictures and I think, yeah, my understanding of the universe is so incomplete. Even the scientists who built all of the things that take these pictures, they don't know everything about what's out there. I have such a sense of wonder, of mystery. And you know, how do we engage with that unknowing? Is it exciting? Is it terrifying? Do we have a sense of grounding in ourselves that we can understand that we are small in this big universe and that we are still precious in our lives? We get to be part of everything and that it matters. We're not insignificant, even though the universe is vast. And so the idea of balancing humility and courage, we kind of get to decide as much as we are able what, what we would like to contribute. <clears throat> we spend time in silence here, sometimes berating ourselves for thinking too much when we think we're not supposed to be thinking about anything. Guogu, a Shan teacher, in the beginning of one of his books says that, that meditation is the opportunity to be honest with yourself. And I love that so much. 
we get to find out who we are based on, you know, the pictures and the stories that, that get told inside of our minds. And we get to see how we're thinking about things. We get to notice when we're afraid, when we're happy, when we're angry. This is what the silence is for. So that we have half a chance of knowing what's going on in there, in here. Because once we see it, once we know, we need to figure out how to engage with it. Am I afraid? How do I care for myself so that I can engage with this in a way that's helpful rather than harmful? Do I feel angry? How do I engage with what this is? What is my 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 perception of things that, that has brought forth this anger. How do I want to respond? How do I want to help? What do I want my life to be? What notes do I want to contribute to the music that's get, getting made in this moment? That balance of humility and courage to know that we don't know, but that we're going to try anyway and to care for ourselves in a way that we can offer ourselves the, the healthiest version of ourselves possible. So that at best we know we're making ripples that are helpful. In my past few years at Clouds, I've really appreciated that this seems to be some of the underpinnings of how we roll. So some will often say like, well, sure, we'll try this. And then if it doesn't work in a way that's helpful, then we'll try something else. And I think that's such an acknowledgement of it's never once and done. Though I used to have, I remember in a house I lived in, we had a container of floor polish that was called once and done. And I'm like, the universe doesn't work like that. We really want it to so desperately. But it's never once and done. It's always how do we meet this moment? And this moment, and the moment five minutes from now, how will I offer myself into this moment? How will I meet the people in front of me? How will I meet myself when I'm all by myself? What do we do with this? It's an interesting paradox, the idea of being grounded in the midst of uncertainty. And yet I think that's what we practice when we face, when we engage with silence, we give ourselves space to, to consider this. This is our body. This is my body. This is the creature I wander this universe in. I can feel the weight of it. I can take up space. I have agency to move things. I have the agency to, to change things, to offer my movements and my creativity.
If I put my foot in the water, I make ripples. And metaphorically, the water is everywhere. You can't step anywhere without making ripples. How are your feet moving? Gently, angrily stomping. What ripples are you making? And I think sometimes we get so tied up in wanting to do it right, about wanting to be certain that there's one right way, that we get so tensed up in our bodies that we forget that spaciousness and that openness and that sense of play. I think there was a point in my life when I thought that being a grown-up meant losing your sense of wonder or losing your sense of humor or losing your sense of being able to play and try new things and really and really have fun. Somehow being a grown-up didn't have room for fun in it. But creativity is generous. It generates things. I keep thinking that there must be, I'm a word person, so I like looking things up, but like creativity, generativity, generosity, there's something generative, something created with every movement that you make, with every action that you're willing to make, you're creating something, you're contributing to the music of the universe, to the paintings. Your bodies are brush strokes or instruments. What kind of music are we making? And so even just in the brief moments that, that I spent um, reading half an interview and listening to a few pieces of music this morning, it was, I had this sense of wonder and this sense of openness that that walking into uncertainty is okay <clears throat> and and true more than okay but true and real and inevitable and when we're not trying to escape things or run away with them that's when we really get to start creating things and i'm really excited about looking at the universe that way I, I haven't always, it's not what I learned the universe was initially. And I knew somebody a long time ago who said that you can tell if something is a good adventure if you're excited and scared. And I'm like, oh yeah, that feels right. The good things that I have done in the past few years, they have been both exciting and scary. And we get to watch what unfolds because we don't really know. Because the universe will be different in five minutes. There will be a different song. Somebody else will start singing. And we get to respond to that. And in a morning where we're talking about impermanence and uncertainty and wondering what will happen next, I think I would just like to open it up for people to say like, how do you, how do you face uncertainty? Do you con consciously pay attention to the idea that you don't know what will happen next? How do you feel about that? 
Is it exciting? Is it terrifying? Is it both? How do you, when you notice that, when you feel the universe being so big, what do you do next that's helpful? So I'm gonna stop talking for a while, but I'd like to open it up. Thank you, Um, I really like what you talked about that uncertainty or uh, impermanence can be actually solid ground for us that we can stand on. And you described it quite minutely, the ability to just watch what's arising and be present because you realize things may be different than one thought they would be or planned that they would be or desperately hoped that they would be. But knowing that and knowing that if you choose to just watch to see how it unfolds, you're actually letting go of that control and that hope to some degree because you're just reminding yourself i have to see what's coming up because i don't know what's going to come up despite my hope and my desires and um in my personal experience with really um what i thought were really super important events um that practice was extremely helpful and made me feel so much more capable when the wrong thing showed up, right? <laughs> the thing that was everybody worked so hard for it not to happen. You, not only was it not surprising, but it was like we can do we can deal with this. And as a matter of fact, this morning we could have all said, "What do you mean the speaker's not here? We've got you know." And it was like we can deal with this. You know, and I think as part of our practice, immediately just came to life. It wasn't a lot of gnashing of teeth. How could this happen? It was just we can deal with this. So thank you. In a similar vein, I was there. Uh, I got to talk to the Young Urban Zen group a little while back, and I used this. Uh, um, and they usually kind of do more like insight slash Thich Nhat Hanh style kind of practice. And I didn't want to be like the orthodox Zen person, but I can't kind of can't help it. So I, I went and I had this bit from uh, Domio Burke, um, who does this really, really great podcast, Zen Studies podcast. And um, she has this bit where she talks about just sitting. And she says, uh, we feel like we, we behave as if we're holding reality together with our minds. Yeah, and um, and uh, last night Minna was supposed to be Minna was scheduled to be you know and last night Minna's been sick for a couple of days and I'm just like okay I'll do it you know and I but I didn't tell anyone I just decided <laughs> I was going to do it and then this morning I got an email from Fuku and a call from Fuku's husband and I'm like yeah no problem I'm going to do it you know um, and so I came here thinking that I had to hold everything together. And as soon as I walk in, Rocky shows up. He's like, "Do you hear what happened? Yeah, Daishin's going to give the talk, and I mean, you know." And I'm like, "Oh, I don't have to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have to hold reality." I I came in thinking I had to hold reality Mm -hmm. together, and I and I ended up 
getting the morning off. <laughs> it's always a surprise. <laughs> Same here. I assumed I would be giving the talk this morning. <laughs> Happy to not be doing so. Thank you. <laughs> I found as a as a music teacher, um, I mean, I teach guitar, but the hardest thing is teaching classrooms and public schools. And I I studied this really incredible method, the Kodai system of teaching, <clears throat> and the teachers taught us to write these incredible lesson plans with tonal transitions and thematic transitions and. I would, for you, for the first five years, I would say, just write down everything specifically and try to follow those lesson plans and they never went the way I wanted. But I, I have to see the preparation in doing that. Now, when I go in, I still write it, but as soon as I get it, I drop it and I just, what I realize is I have an idea what I want, but if I don't drop it, I can't see what's really happening in real time. And so I've become really spontaneous and it just becomes magical. It's like I embrace it as magic. So, um, so that's my experience with spontaneity and learning, trying to grasp onto things. And when you grasp onto it, it doesn't work. But I wanted to say, I really, you really inspired me watching you this morning when you was we had the surprise thing that you were going to become the speaker because you just said, "Oh yeah, I got something ready. I've been thinking about it." It was just. I just think that really embodies our practice, you know, spontaneity and what you did. It's really great. Thank you. And yet what you're talking about too, <laughs> incredible preparation and spontaneity, both and. Yes. Because if you did not have the vast repertoire of that practice of the writing down the lesson plans of the structure of the creative like of knowing best practices what helps what helps what helps what helps prepare 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 whoosh without the preparation whoosh isn't as whoosh isn't as reliably helpful because if you just started winging it all the time yeah you don't have that reservoir. And it's the same thing, I think, when it comes to zazen. We sit and we pay attention and we notice and we practice and we're aware and we notice our bodies and we're grounded and we do it over and over and over and over so that when we are in a moment where we are stressed, when we are squished, what comes out can be more helpful because of all of the preparation. We never know what that will necessarily look like, which is why we practice meeting every moment, because every moment is new. But I don't know who it was. There was some psychologist once like, you are an orange. If you get squeezed, orange juice comes out. <laughs> um, under stress, when people squeeze you, what comes out? And so that ties in with what you're thinking about preparation, preparation, preparation. What comes out when you're squished? And this is, this is the result of practice and how we find out. And maybe, maybe it doesn't show up the way we want it to. But it's that balance, what you're talking about so beautifully, like that preparation, especially classroom teaching, so brave. <laughs>
Um, you know, there's a, um, there's a, I heard a motivational speaker say this once, and it really makes sense with our practice. Luck equals preparation, meaning opportunity. So it is, the preparation is really important. Jazz musicians, the stuff they go through, they say they learn all the chords and all the scales and all the modes and everything, and they sight read, and then they throw it out, and then it's, then you're completely open. But it's in you. It's in you. It's in your body. Your fingers know how to do yeah. things at that point because of all of those hours and years of practice of things that felt boring and repetitive, mm -hmm. and this isn't music, this is a scale. But because of the scales, you can create beautiful music. Both in. Yeah. Yeah. How are we doing? Oh, we've got time. Anybody else want to offer anything? How do you practice with uncertainty? It's a challenge for me. I was actually just thinking about this. I think too much, and I have a lot of timelines. I can meet those timelines and yet be open to what's um, And I think I struggle with wanting to wanting to know what's going to happen, how to well organize and be prepared. And that person's not really good at the person who's always really at it. sharing that we all have so much room we are never done just playing off of that thank you thank you for that is it martha yeah um Yeah, something that I work with sometimes is uh, there is a lot of uh, preparation for life that I really, really did not enjoy <laughs> and did not appreciate and by many objective standards should not have happened. <laughs> and yet, uh, seeing that as, uh, you know, I'm part of the big part of the preparation for what's going on now. All, you know, all the family trauma and, uh, well, gosh knows what, world trauma. Uh, it seems like um, advanced practice or, or challenging practice sometimes, but very interesting. Yeah. 
I'm probably somebody already mentioned the pandemic. I think maybe it was you. Like, uh, oh, here we have this pandemic. This is like really, really awful. And yet, look at all the strange, interesting things that came out of it, are coming out of it. Fingers crossed that some of those will bear some useful fruit. Well, out of the stress of that, I think it seemed to be a recurring theme that it forced people to look at what was really important to them. Mm -hmm. And it also required us to be inventive and creative and getting kicked out of your rut is never, never comfortable. Um, and yet, here we are. And we get, I mean, this is going back to practice again, we get to choose how to respond. What kind of, what kind of ripples do I want to make when I'm moving around in this world as a response to something that's in the middle of pain, even if I'm the one in pain? What do I, what do I offer? Okay. Um, thank you for your talk about uncertainty, and I'm feeling like embracing uncertainty to some degree. Um, I got together with a friend, a dear old friend the other night, who's not a Zen practitioner. I asked him how he was doing, and he said, I'm just freaking out about everything. <laughs> and so I asked him what in particular is it, and it seemed to be, it wasn't as much about his personal life as he was just very worried about the world worried about any number of things that could go very badly and so he said he's very worried about it and i kind of was thinking while we were talking about how to respond to this in a way um, that to try to convince him uh, I, had, I had in my mind going in the direction of how do i how do i talk him into short circuit circuiting his worrying impulse mm -hmm. And I guess I wanted to kind of ask that any any ideas on that on how to address that that it really I basically said something to the effect of well we can choose to be anxious about these things and maybe we can choose not to be I don't know is there a way to do that is there a way to as I said short circuit the worry. <laughs> Sometimes I think in the vast scheme of everything that being scared is an appropriate response. Like it's a real, I mean, what your friend is saying is so true. Like it's overwhelming. It's scary. That's real. It's acknowledging our vulnerability and how frightening that is. And I think even just to be able to say out loud, I'm scared is brave like oh this isn't easy i'm not going to try and tell you that i'm doing fine i'm scared and it seems true and real to feel frightened but not the end And 
I wonder if there's some sort of invitation to openness that can come after I'm afraid. Um, I don't mean this to sound funny, but as I understand it in improvisation classes, the, the best response is always yes and. And so fear is real and fear is there and to not acknowledge it would be dishonest, but also yes and. What will we do? And I think the next best response is how do I care for myself? Because there are so many things that are so far away that I can't fix or control or have the way I want them to be. But just like in Zazen, we sit and we care for our bodies and care for our minds with kindness. And so if I am imagining it in a moment to learn how in the face of fear to say, yes, I am afraid. And can I be kind to myself in this moment and take care of myself? How can I be a friend to myself, even if I'm worried? And also to ask for help. The fact that he was telling you this is a gift for him and for you, because then we get to do this together. Yes, you are afraid and you are also not alone. And I think lessening the power of worry is something, I don't know that you can short circuit that, it's kind of like taking one vitamin isn't going to, to make you instantly healthy. But if you can find small healthy things to do, yes, I am afraid. And caring for myself with kindness might be the first step to making good ripples. Is that helpful at all? Very much. Thank you. We have a couple more minutes if anyone has anything. My mother, who's 85, uh, she worries about the world, but she also says to me, while Myra was, her father died when she was seven. But she says, you know, I was a child during World War II. This is like, not a new thing. This is how humanity plays out. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's comforting, but um, it's kind of, it seems more extreme to me right now, but they know this is my life. Climate change, climate change seems a little more extreme in terms of the outcome, but it's a good point taken that this is how humans have been since their existence. <laughs> Oh, we've engaged with each other, unfortunately. And, and then you can also observe the positive and the incredible transformation and positive change that humanity has made as well, the waves of it. 
Thank you. Yeah, sometimes it is a a dangerous thing that we are so globally connected. Dangerous and wonderful. Both and. Um, I have been thinking about that too. Like we who are right now think right now is really bad. And nostalgia can be so dangerous. It wasn't that bad back then. Well, for the people who lived back then, it felt really bad. For different reasons, in different places. Um, that said, you know, with, with technology and globalization, we are affecting more things and the water and the trees and the land on a much larger scale as there have been more peopling things happening. You know, we have, we have an impact on our environment and it's not just small communities anymore. It's giant piles of garbage in the ocean. That's newer. There are more of us and our stewardship skills are not very strong. And then we get to decide what we love and what's important and then let ourselves move in that direction to do what we can. But yeah, it feels big and overwhelming because we know more and yet we can touch more. So we get to choose. And I think that's what we learn in practice, how much we have the ability to choose. That's what we create space for when we sit to be more aware and awake and conscious of what we have the ability to choose, even though we don't know how it will turn out. Thank you for all of this. Thank you for sharing this morning together.